we don't really know <laughs> a lot of us like unless they've done a lot of internal work you don't even really know what you want or need or how you are and what you like until you get into that relationship hello and welcome to the authentic wednesday podcast each week my guest and i share our vulnerable behind the scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of expectations, and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I am your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. It is your host, Bianca Hughes. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Um, Whatever time you are listening to this, if it is the morning, I hope this encourages for the morning. If it is the afternoon, I hope it gives you the prep that you need for the afternoon and nighttime. I just hope you can soak it all in with your reflective thoughts. So um, today on the podcast, I am letting you guys in. In on a great conversation with a dear, dear friend of mine, Kofria Hart. She's actually been on the podcast before on episode nine. Um, it was entitled Being You Without All the Edits, and that is a great episode. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to that where she's talking about being her on her journey of mental health um, and what that meant for her as well as um, being a Christian and also experiencing a loss of her son due to a stillbirth. And so I think that's a great episode for you to go and listen to so you can hear a bit more about Kofria. I don't really want to say too much. I'm just going to say that this is a really great conversation that we just kind of let you guys be privy to. We always have these conversations um, and I'm always like, I have to record it. So I finally got to record the um, an episode and I hope you guys love this. Um, also, this is episode 75. So we're just going to go ahead and get in without any introductions. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Um, so this is really a conversation. My friend, um, is with me. It's really a girl chat. Um, my friend Kofri and I always have these conversations and I'm like, oh my gosh, this should have been recorded. So we are just doing our regular Saturday morning catch up and we are recording our Saturday morning catch up. Sometimes we'd be on the phone for like two hours so we finally said, okay, one of these Saturdays, we're just going to record it. So um, there is no, whatever comes out, comes out. Um, I highly encourage you to stay tuned to this because you're going to be like, oh my gosh. Um, Kafria just has so much wisdom. She's been on the podcast before, um, just talking about her experience of being a Christian with mental illness. So we are just going to dive in and authentic as can be we kind of talked about this last time when we was on the podcast about being a mom a parent of um a neurodiverse household yes and you just literally before you got on here you experienced that do you want to tell us like kind of like what happened you doing okay yes yes so I was I had to deal with the whole asking for help I had to reach out to Bianca let her know I need in a few minutes because I actually have two daughters. Um, they both are on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum. Um, my youngest, who's six years old, she has 
a lot higher support needs than my oldest and she was having a meltdown um you know for those that don't know you know like she has a lot of um like sensory like issues where if things are too loud loud sounds bright lights um you know that could overwhelm her and cause her to have lots of anxiety which could lead to what some people might um, you know, classically consider like a tantrum or something like that, where you might see kids screaming, falling on the floor. Um, it's not like that at all. It's not like her trying to like, you know, impose her will on us as parents, but it's just how she behaves when she needs support. So we have to take time out. You know, it wasn't ideal because me and Bianca had a meeting. So this meltdown is not scheduled. Unfortunately, we can't schedule them. <laughs> So right when I was getting ready to get on the Zoom is when she has her meltdown. So I had to reach out to Bianca and ask for some grace to start, you know, get get together a few minutes later um, so I could spend some time with my child. And, you know, which is sometimes very difficult, you know, for me to do as a mom. And then Ryan as a dad, too, is very difficult to watch your child struggle. And a lot of times you can't do anything, you know, specifically about it besides support. Like you want to fix it. Like that's the feeling that me and Ryan, you know, run into. We want to fix it. We want to help her. We want to immediately be able to calm her, but it takes time. So we have to just slow all the way down, be patient, sit there with her. Many times we have to get on our knees. Like we have to take a knee and actually get down to her level and wait for her. We can't even grab her. Like her sensitivities are even to when she's in that mode, you can't even just reach out and touch her, like, and just hold her or anything. We have to get down there with her and wait till she's calm enough to even receive the physical touch, you know, support and comfort. And that's just hard. That, as a parent, you really want to just grab your child and hold them. You can't even do that sometimes with, you know, if, if you're trying to support anybody that's on the spectrum, you really have to be patient, look for the cues and, you know, just master that art of like releasing control and supporting and just loving people the way they need to be loved in the moment not the way you traditionally have seen parenting so it's hard because you you there's a lot of books out there about autism but it's the thing that I was feeling this morning was like it ain't no it's like every everybody's different and there's no book on your specific child or your specific relationship you just have to be led in the moment so thank God for his grace which is what me and Bianca were just talking about <laughs> I'm like, Lord, your grace is sufficient. And uh, yeah, and, and, and it is, it always is. Even when it's hard in the moment, I, I truly have experienced the fact that God's grace is sufficient. That must be so hard because um, you can't do what is innately in you to do, which is to hug your child and comfort your child. And you have to learn to divert from what's like within you to do. Exactly. Um, and you can do it. You just have to wait. The, it's like there's something innately in you that you will to do, but you have to wait for the timing, which is the hard part. Because Joya does need what's innately for me to do as a mom, but not when I want to. Mm. It's when she's ready for me to. Mm. Which is... <laughs> But yeah, but then on, don't we do that? Don't we need to do that anyway with kids? Yes. 
even if they are not on the spectrum. So, you know, like as adults, well, look, I'm going to stop saying that. I, I really want to stop saying, um, I really want to try not to say kids and children. I really just really want to be like younger humans. That That's it. Because I think when we say children and kids, we've been so ingrained that they're younger, they don't know much, or they're kind of like less than. Yes. And they're just really not. Um, mm-hmm. They are just a younger human. And when I say younger human, it's just there's certain things that are not developed. But then there's a lot more that's developed to me than that's not developed. The Most of the thing that's not really developed is the brain and the sense of reasoning and, and things like that. But like personality and things like that are pretty much developed when they're like three, four years old. Sometimes um, more developed than adults. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So as humans, we don't, so I'm not going to say as kids, but just as humans, we all need a break. We'd be like, if you don't leave me alone, mm-hmm. like, I know I'm like that. I know I get to a point where I am so heated and I'm like, don't even touch me because I do not know what will happen if you touch me. I literally do not know. So do not come near me. Do not touch me. And I think um, kids, uh, you know, younger humans who don't have are on the spectrum also need that. But sometimes we can impose ourselves um, yes. onto them um, when they just be like, just leave us alone. <laughs> Exactly. leave me alone exactly you can learn a lot because with with her the way that the autism is for her she doesn't have a switch that allows that allows her to hide what she needs for support whereas I feel like as you know me not being on the spectrum in that way I may feel the same way where it's like I don't need to be touched right now I need a moment to like gather myself I'm overwhelmed but I have a switch where I can hide the fact that that's what I actually need in that moment. You know, it's like, I can accept the touching and the hugging, even if I don't really feel like that's what I want and I'm not comfortable with it. I can pretend I'm comfortable with it and I can suppress what I need in order to make the other person who's trying to support me feel comfortable because I'm more focused on you know, whatever they need to be pleased and comfortable in that moment, even if I need something totally different. And so I learned a lot from her in terms of, you know, assessing what do I really need in that moment? And do I have the courage to actually ask for the support I need or reject the support that I don't need rather than just accepting whatever somebody's willing to give me so that they don't feel rejected or anything like that? Because Joy doesn't have any any way to process my mom's feelings about to be hurt. You know, if I try to come at her and, you know, like she's trying to hug me and I punch her in the face. So, um, you know, that look, that's the other thing. Like <laughs> kids on the spectrum, they may hit you. They hit you because they love you. They won't even hit you if they don't know you and they're not comfortable with you. They won't even act out. But if they love you and they feel like, look, man, I need some space, they may pop you in the face. They, I don't know. That's something you got to get over sometimes. It's like, look, she wasn't ready for that. You learn, I learned my lesson too. So it's like, I've learned to, you know, from my own child, how to give her some space and how to ask for space when I need it, you know, and you get better support that way. Like you really do. Like 
Joya gets the support that she needs because she doesn't accept anything less because she doesn't, she's not able to. And my oldest too, my oldest is actually very good at that. She's very direct. She'll be like, nope. Mm -mm. And I, I learn a lot from, from my, my, my young humans. <laughs> I learn a whole lot from them. And I've been saying, it's funny that you mentioned that too, Bianca, because I've been changing my uh, verbiage around like how I deal with them, even thinking mm -hmm. about how some things I learned from my parents un unknowingly translates to other relationships when you get older. So you do have to treat them as young humans and not process it as children, like children are separate from adults because there is no separation. The things that they learn in their relationship from the parent directly goes into their relationships with their friends and their boyfriends and girlfriends in their teenage years and when they're young adults in their 20s and beyond just by how you treat them oh that's so good say that again so there is no separation mm -mm. because right into everything they, they learn from you they grow they take that relationship and they go right into their adolescence teenage years and adulthood with what they learned in the relationship from you and that's so true because they are like a sponge mm-hmm you know, I shared on the podcast about my niece, just like I told her, like, we're doing appreciation because you're doing the most and you just are grateful <laughs> and you want so many things. And then two days later, she can reel off. I appreciate this or I appreciate that. Like they, um, the other day she said, <laughs> she didn't want to say hello to me, the four-year-old. And she, and so um, her mom, you know, my sister was like, so you don't like it when people are on the street and you say hello to them and they don't say to hello, hello to you, right? And she goes, no, I don't, but I just let it go. <laughs> She's like, I let it go. I was like, Wait. and I was like, and so my mom was like, well, where did she get that from? I was like, that's from me. I know yeah. that's for a fact. That's from yeah. me. <laughs> She's like, did she get it from your sister? I said, no, mom, I'll take that one. I'll take that I know that is that is me because I'll be like, oh my sister. I'm like, why are you worrying about it? Just let it go. Like, it ain't that deep? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You got to, you got to let it go, and that's good. That's good. Like, that's good. Yeah. That they learn that early. Like, yeah, but I let it go. <laughs> learn as early as you can. That's the other thing about young humans. Teach these kids as early as you can about how to relate to things, how to let it go. Like you said about the gratitude, because it really does matter. They soak it up as a sponge and they take it with them. They're still the same people mm -hmm. when they get older mm -hmm. and they, they take what they learn. They so do. They so do. You said something else about, um, you said everyone's child or everyone's, you know, um, children are the same, are, the, are, are different and you have to be led. And you said, just like everyone's relationship is different and you have to be fed. Now, this is the one thing me and Kafria always end up talking about relationships. So I would say Kafria's ministry is relationships and mine is identity. And of course, they go very much hand in hand. But she just has so much wisdom um, in regards to relationship and being in relationship. And, and of course, we're talking about any type of relationship. And I'll be like, where did you get this from? And then I'll drop the gems about 
the identity and how you see yourself. So that's one way we really kind of connect. And I just also want to say, like, when we, when we talk about ministry, we're not talking about being on a pulpit, um, you know, doing this church group. We're just talking about what God has called us to do and how we live that for ourselves, for the people that we're in relationship with in the workplace um, and whatever. But being led in your relationships. Now, did you see, have you seen the thing about Wendy Williams and, and Tabitha Brown? I, I've heard of it. I don't know. I know okay. the gist of the story, but I haven't actually, I didn't listen to what Wendy Williams so, said. So, yeah, I don't even know this. I just happen to see, you know, I find all my information on Instagram. Right. So Wendy William, Tabitha Brown, of course, has retired her husband, Mm -hmm. retired her husband because she's doing so well. And then Wendy Williams commented on it and just said that how, um, well, he's going to end up cheating on her and leaving her and they're going to be broke because of her own personal experiences. So Tabitha Brown came back. She didn't even see the clip. Someone told her and was like, you know, talking about how you know, she's just praying for her because, you know, that sounds like a lot of hurt and how her husband has held her down. And this is the agreement that they made Mm -hmm. in their relationship and was talking about putting God first. And it makes such a difference when you put God first in your relationship and how she prays that everyone has a relationship with such love and such compassion. Seriously, she reminded me of you. Yeah. And, um, she reminded me of you and it just really spoke to what you say that no two relationships are the same and you know we really have to get out of this well it should you know first of all that word should is it doesn't have any flexibility but it should be this way or it should look like this way and I know your also relationship your marriage does not look how it quote unquote should look or what people expect but Mm -hmm. it works according to what God has told you guys to do and Mm -hmm. what your strengths are in the relationship exactly I mean shoot you know me I don't (laughs) look I've retired my husband two three times um you know so you know it resonated with me like even just hearing the story um because we do have a situation where, you know, Ryan is the major, the main caretaker of our home and our kids. And, you know, you know, I, the role traditionally that might be perceived as breadwinner is my role, you know, in, in the relationship. Um, but literally that is something that is God breathed. We tried it many ways and we've, we've played all the roles. Like I've been married now for, for 13 years and we've been on both sides. Like when we first got married, you know, I was the, the one that was the caretaker of the house and, and the children. And I made less money than Ryan. And, you know, he was the main breadwinner of the household. And then when things started to change, like literally Ryan's ministry, he, Ryan is a creator. He's an artist. He's an actor. He's, he's just anything you can think about with entertainment. It just flows out of him freely. He has a gift. And that started to take off, like to where he wasn't sleeping at night. He was working. The work was stressing him out, you know, like not only was he not sleeping at night because he was working around the clock with acting, doing music, in addition to, you know, having his daytime like nine to five job. He was also so stressed from the nine to five that he couldn't sleep, Um, you know, and that that impacts a man that impacts a relationship. I saw my husband go from this, 
you know, happy, you know, outgoing, you know, cheerful man to, uh, to where his countenance was literally darkened by how much stress he was undergoing. So we, had, we put a plan together, a plan that God breathed to us to, to you know, to follow. And we it, look, there were some practical, effective things going on too, I must say. We got out of debt. We had a plan. We didn't do it. We didn't go to the movies for a while. We weren't eating out. We saved up our money. We paid off our cars. And then I got a promotion. I got the favor of God. I got a promotion. And that promotion was enough once all our debts were paid off where he didn't have to work anymore. So I told him, I said, when I said, when we get this, this, you know, stuff paid off, God brought the unexpected promotion. in at that time, I said, well, that's, that's God right there. That's God letting me know this is, it was the exact amount of money that we needed to cover. Like after we paid off all of our debts, if we lost his income, the promotion that I received at that point in time was exactly what we needed so that there would be no shortfall. So I knew I was like, baby, you can quit. You can quit. So I retired my husband once and that was 2012 so that was shoot that's almost 10 years ago now <laughs> so I retired him that one time and um and he's been working in the field of entertainment ever since it's like night and day having a husband in your home they say happy wife happy life it's no no it's happy husband and happy wife happy life y'all both <laughs> gotta be happy in order for the relationship to work Okay, everything I'm talking about the sex life, all of that. If that's gonna be popping, y'all both gotta be happy. I'm sorry. There it was like night and day having a husband working in a job that was stressful and sucking his soul out of him, versus having a husband that's thriving and doing the things that he loves to do. And I say I've retired him a couple of times because we've had times where we're like, oh man, we reached these financial goals. And that, that wasn't from God. I'll tell you that too. Those times where we was like, oh, we got to reach these financial goals. You got to go back to work now and all that kind of stuff. God didn't tell us to do it. We just did stuff and mm. had gone back to work. And it was like the worst time. Mm. That was the most stressful time of my life when I, when Ryan went back to work, it was right before uh, Joy was born. It was, oh, we about to have another baby. You know, you got to start working again. Da, da, da. He was like, yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Oh I remember God. that. And you were like, it's not of God. No, <laughs> it's I was not so stressed. what he told us to oh do. Oh my God. I was so stressed. He was so stressed. Like him not being at home. I was having to rush home from work, you know, trying to pick eating up. From I remember that. From school, trying to get my mom involved, all these different people. With just one person being out of the house, it took me two, three additional people that I had to call for support on a daily basis to help me oversee the house without my husband being at home. Mm -mm. And then God was like, why you do that? I didn't tell you to do that. Mm -mm. Ryan came home. We got so much favor because we needed a lot of things done around the house just, to, just to, mm -hmm. to give you the practical thing. We were trying to pay off a lot of debt before we brought another kid into the world. We had a bunch of stuff that was broken in the house. We needed fixed. We had a, like something had burst in a pipe, you know, that flooded. It was just a lot going on that we needed to take care of. And we're thinking we got to do this. We got to take care of it. When I brought Ryan home and was like, forget it, God will provide. Man, how about, I forget exactly how it happened, but I think his mom got like a bonus or something like that. And she said that the Lord put on her heart to come down to Atlanta and take care of whatever we needed in the house. We didn't tell her about any of the stuff that we planned. Mm. His parents drove down to Atlanta, like maybe two weeks before Joy was bo born. They got 
everything that was broken in the house fixed, they painted our walls and they're in their seventies. They, I was like, where did they get this supernatural strength? I mean, they were, <laughs> they had paint rollers. They were, I mean, they fit, they, they were caulking, mm -hmm. they were caulking stuff in the bathroom. They were at home people <laughs> bringing stuff back. I was like, oh my God, we, we got it. They gave us a new washer and dryer. We, we were, we were struggling with the washer and dryer. We were wringing out our clothes by hand. We would wash them in the washer and wring. Oh out my God. That we were struggling. Girl. They came and got us a new, we, we just, I just came home from work and it was there in the house. Like, Hey, we wow. got y'all a new washer and dryer. Wow. And I was That's like, real. And let me tell you this right quick too. This is another quick testimony. Your husband's parents do matter. Look, <laughs> parents, you married a whole family. But anyway, um, no, wait. You know? you know, I was just saying to someone that um, I've said it a couple of times now. I think I was maybe saying to a client, and I was like, I don't believe in dating in isolation. And I was like, What do you mean by that? And I was like. I don't believe that you date and then you do like a whole bunch of dates and then you meet the family. I'm quite comfortable with meeting your family on the first date because it matters. And I'm quite happy for you to meet my friend. I mean, my family or my friends, you know, my family's not always here, but my friends on the first date, I am quite happy to do that because those things matter dating in isolation makes no sense because you do not live in isolation and you will not live in isolation it's not just you guys and you have to incorporate each other's lives family hobbies um, friends into it so i'm with you <laughs> yes and girl okay let's get into look we're about to get into some strong opinions now because here we go like the Bible says, try the spirit by the spirit to see that it's of God. All right. I actually encourage people, introduce somebody you're interested to, to everybody. And this is going to be controversial, even your kids. Even if you have kids and you're dating, I believe you should introduce the person that you're dating to your kids faster than you think, than most people think you should. Because I believe that the people that truly love you give you an opportunity to pick up the spirit of that person more than you can just by yourself. There's Absolutely. something about the energy. It's not just you because ladies, and I'm gonna tell you, cause this is my own struggle. If you don't love yourself, there's a part of you that's going to be numb to somebody that is, that is vibrating at a lower level than you intend to. There's something that you can't pick up sometimes if you don't love yourself well enough that the energy that means you know good you're numb to it mm. but when you're around people that love you like really love you there's something about the way that resonates with you you can tell it a lot faster that the person that you're interacting with is something that will harm you that's coming from that person and they'll pick it up and you need to listen and i believe that the bible also talks about a hedge of protection that he provides us with mm. the people that love you are your hedge of protection where sometimes the things that you don't you're not aware of they'll be aware of it and you need that interaction you don't yes. need it, that that me and him against the world mentality that's not that's not real 
that's not real. It, like you said, don't date in a vacuum, meet the family because meeting the family, even seeing how they interact with the people that they love. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I wanna, I'm sitting back like here drinking my drink, just observing. I don't even have to say anything. That's what you need. That's what you need when you're dating. You need to see them interact with the people that they love and call friends. And you need to see how they interact with the people that love you and how people that love you respond to them. Because you you got blind spots. You know what I'm saying? Like we've been, we've been, we all been through a lot. We all been through traumas. We've been through disappointments. It's all kinds of things that we've been through that may impact sometimes our ability to listen to ourselves. I'm not going to say you can't perceive it, but I say sometimes it's difficult to listen to yourself. And so when you can't listen to yourself, having all these different data points, because, you know, I'm an engineer too. Yeah, I need data. You know, it's like you got all these data points to inform you and help you hear what your heart is trying to tell you, because your heart does know your soul, your spirit, you know, when somebody doesn't mean you any good, but there's something in you that doesn't want to believe it. And you need more data in order to make the right decision about to continue remaining connected with this person or continue to let them into your world, into that, that space where, you know, you know, it, it, it should be safe when you let them into that yeah. world, you know, and, and you might let them in and it's not safe. And you said something like, I totally agree. You said something like, um, you know, if you struggle with, um, loving yourself you definitely need this but I even want to say even if you don't like um well not don't even if you've done some work because there's all areas where we struggle in loving ourselves, and and hold that thought about loving yourself but um even if you've done a lot of work and you're f- feeling really confident I still think that that's still important as well mm-hmm. um just because of how like you said you're going to be living life so hold that thought about love so um, there is also a difference between loving yourself and liking yourself. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, yes, indeed. And so for me, you know, everyone has their own definition. Love is a verb, love is action, right? So when I'm loving myself, I am getting myself some food. I am drinking some water. Mm. I am going to sleep. I am washing, I'm doing self-care, right? So those are those actions I'm putting clothes on. I'm, I'm, I'm being intentional. I'm, I'm creating a nice space. I'm around people that care about me, right? Those are, those are acts of love. That's, that's love for me, right? Now, to like myself mm-hmm. is to stare in the mirror and say, you know what? You're really dope. Yes. I really admire you. Mm-hmm. You are amazing. To like myself is when I'm saying, oh, you're so stupid. I'm like, wait a minute. No, we don't talk to ourselves like that. Right. To like myself is to say, man, I really appreciate what you did. I really care about you. You are just, It is literally staring in the mirror and saying, I like what I see, liking what you see, liking how you are, liking everything, even the most quirkiest thing. You're like, I really like that about me. Mm-hmm. Girl, that is, <laughs> that is liking yourself versus mm-hmm. loving yourself. And mm-hmm. we can, I tell people this all the time. You can love anybody. You can love anything. Mm-hmm. But do you like that person and do you like that thing? Exactly. Oh, my God. I'm tired of that question. I'm tired of the answer. Why are you with them? Because I love them. It's not enough. 
Do you like them? Girl. Understand if you spend enough time with someone, you can love them. But do you? I love a lot of people in my family. I love a lot. Of, do you think I like everything my family does? No. But I love them. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And that's the key right there, man. That's the key. You know, and just to dig into that, like, it may, it brings up a lot of things. Like, one of the things that I, I know I experienced and I've seen, you know, in a lot of people that I know, when you get into a new relationship, there's a certain voice that you hear that's like, don't, you know, don't mess this up. Or you it brings up a lot of faults. Like, because traditionally, if you're in a new relationship, it means that you've had some relationships before that didn't work out. Because mm -hmm. they don't work out till they work out. You know, I tell people, I, I failed at every relationship until the one I'm in right now. You mm -hmm. know, like it, it's still working. Like the one that works, it's still working. It's been working mm -hmm. for 13 years. But every single one I had before them failed. Every single relationship failed. So I went into this relationship with a track record of 100% failure. Mm that track record of a hundred percent failure in previous relationships, it messes with people. It messes with people there, especially if you really desire a relationship, there could be a part of you, like you talked about liking yourself. There could be a part of you that really struggles to like yourself, particularly because it, if, you, if you don't like failure, like I know I don't. And I know, look, I know we both have like achiever in, in like our, <laughs> you know, like our, our uh, hierarchy of strengths. Yeah. You know, it's like as an achiever, I don't like failing. It's strength finder. That's it. I could think of it. Yeah, yeah strength, strength finder. finder. Mm -hmm. I don't like failing at anything. Mm -hmm. So going into something where I have a 100% failure rate, I don't I already don't like that. Mm. I already don't like that about myself. And that's not, that's something that's not a fair measuring stick. You know what I mean? Like when you walk into a relationship, you have an, a certain part of you that you don't like because you want to be in a relationship and you haven't been successful at it, that thing can mess with you. That thing can actually affect your decision-making because you're not liking yourself enough to give yourself enough credit, to give yourself enough honor, specifically in that area where you're trying to build, you know? And it's like, I want to challenge that. I want to challenge that measuring stick, especially for women. Cause I, I know that men and women deal with it. But I'm very sensitive. I, I definitely have a heart for women in this area because there's a lot of pressure for women. I think more so than men society-wise that if you don't have a successful relationship by a certain point in your life, it's a lot younger, I think, for women where it starts yeah. to like, oh, something must be wrong with you if you yeah. keep not being able to do that. For men, it's like later. It's like you look at a dude that's like old and alone, you're like, oh, you messed up. But you can look at a woman who's young and just because she's not married it's like oh something wrong with her I'm like for a man it's like 55 for a woman <laughs> it's like 25 and I'm like wait a minute what but we can have an area even like you said if we've done a lot of work but that sneaky hundred percent failure rate which every single person has until you just married for 50 years you got a hundred percent failure rate in your relationship your romantic relationships until you get into the the marriage that lasts for 50 years so it's not fair it's not fair to have this measuring stick that's giving you kind of a a, a thing about yourself in the background going on causing you to not like the fact that you failed in that area because it's natural and you're supposed to fail you're supposed to fail at relationships until you meet the right person 
So it's not nothing wrong with you if you failed at relationships till you met, met the right person. But is that, I don't, I don't really care for that word though, Kafria. What, fail? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, but I'm using <laughs> it because I'm challenging it. Because it's not, like, I kind of like when you said it didn't work out versus we failed. Yes, it, I, I challenge Because you get, a, yeah, because you get a lot of feedback. Exactly. That, but that's my point. So I'm agreeing okay. with you on that. Okay. It's not really a failure. Okay. But that's how people see it is what you're that's saying. How it's okay, processed got it. And it's not fair. Okay. It's not got fair. It. I think that it's wrong to process it as a failure. Mm. But people do and they go into a relationship holding themselves mm. back. Like don't mm-hmm. let it's almost like you, you know, like if you see like a little dog that people be like, oh hold on, mm-hmm. my dog is barking, I gotta put him mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's an aspect of ourselves that we think I'm a failure at relationships. So let me let me shrink down this part of me because that part of me is like not good at this. And I I challenge that. I'm saying no. Bring your whole self. Mm-hmm. Don't be ashamed. Everybody quote unquote does it like a, like you said. The truth is, it doesn't work out until it works out. Mm-hmm. That happens too everybody anybody that's in a long-lasting marriage like ryan's parents have been married for 53 years they'll be 54 years this year they've been married even them they have a very successful marriage until they got married they quote unquote failed at all the other relationships Mm. before that which is perfectly fine it's not really a failure it's that the relationship didn't work out because the people they got into relationship relationship with they they weren't the person or people that they needed to be in a relationship with for 50 something years and I don't even I don't even think that the relationship was like it never should have happened mm-hmm. it's like you said it's feedback it's data you learn mm-hmm. so much I heard I heard a quote the other day that was like you know if I had to do it all over again I would make all the same mistakes just faster <laughs> I don't know I'll have to think about that one but that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know. I think I do. I'd be like, no, I don't think I would be my statement. My statement would be, I should have listened to my first thought. <laughs> yes. Now that see some of it. That would have been my, that would have been my statement. My statement. If I did all that, I would listen to that first thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would have trusted myself more, but yeah. I want to give an example of that failure. Right. So I remember we talked about, Remember, I talked to you about listening to what's it? I think it's Dr. Camden, and she was talking about the purity myths, mm-hmm. um, and just the different purity myths surrounding purity. And one of the ones that stuck out to me was like, um, you know, if like that were yeah, that kind of stuck out was that if you do things God way, then He's going to line up and you're going to get married. And then the other one was looking down on or not viewing people as a a Christian or whatever, if they're having sex, premarital sex. So um, I really sat down and, you know, I kind of talked to you about that because that really hit home. And I was like, wow, do I think like that? And realizing that part of me had those thoughts. And that was really like, that that was like a hard pill to swallow um, for me. And I remember even thinking about that, when I look back at my relationships, I was kind of sometimes judging them thinking, man, if the sex wasn't in there or if I didn't have sex so soon, maybe it would have worked out or maybe would have been better. Or realizing that I really felt like the sex was the problem, like the, having sex was a problem. 
which is not true. Um, but I was realizing that. And so I was like, man, so why am I, which, which I think is a, a health, very healthy question. It's like, well, why am I abstinent? Like, why am I really doing this? Um, you know, cause I'm kind of taking, like you said, from that thing from failed relationships thinking, yes. well, let me take this out of the equation and then my relationships will be better. And I'm not saying that that's not true either. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that you really have to look at the whole picture and know why you're doing these things and why you're making these, um, yes. these, these changes. Cause I, I still think, do I, do I love sex? Do I miss sex? All of those things. But I also know that if I was having sex, that wouldn't also be health just, just because, or that also wouldn't be helpful for me either. Right. Um, so it, you know, that, but, but, but taking it out helped me see so much more exactly. um, in myself and what I do want in a relationship and what, what really matters. Oops. Like those things like mm-hmm. values and um, like we're talking about realizing don't date in isolation and all those kind of things. So, uh, you know, going back to that, that, that was feedback. It felt like a failure, but when I sat back and I assessed it, um, it was more of a feedback. So I just want to give that to people. So people know, like, that's an example. Exactly. Exactly. And let's talk about that some more too, because I feel like that's something we need to unpack from both sides. Like, you know, like you said, as a Christian, you know, going back to why are you abstaining? And, you know, because I feel like it ties into everything. Like we started talking about identity, relationships, (laughs) the abstinence thing is both again. It's like, you know, you have this identity because I'm abstinent. I am, you know, mm. better than other women. You know, like what, you know, not saying that, but it's a thing that might come up in that. It's real. It's, you, you felt know? like, I, I don't, I felt, you felt, no, it wasn't that you felt you were better, but you, that was your identity for you. Your oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a tremendous, like when I lost my virginity, I had a tremendous identity crisis, like after that, um, it was, it was bad. You know, it's, it's something that took me years. I was 35 years old in therapy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I lost my virginity when I was 18, you know, and you know, I, it was an assault, you know, like in that whole traumatic experience on top of the fact that I associated my virginity and the fact that I wasn't having sex with this level of like piety and goodness and it shifted me over into like a damaged goods identity you know like that I was in something was inherently damaged that could not be restored and all that kind of stuff and it 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 turns down the knob for what you feel like you can expect from the world not even just in your relationships, like in general, you just feel like you have to expect less now because you did not attain this prize of being able to get married and have your husband be the first person you have sex with. And I just dispute, you know, all that to, to hell, that is from hell. Um, you know, the godly part of it is like what you were talking about is I believe that not having sex gives you more space to love yourself as you're getting to love somebody else. 
I feel like sex sometimes puts people in a space where they're willing to make sacrifices that is too early to make. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, we're, we're committing where it's not safe yet because our body, like our body mimics what's happening spiritually and in the soul. Like we talked about the whole oxytocin thing. Like when you embrace somebody, your body literally releases a chemical, like a hormone that bonds you to that person. And that there's in, in the Bible, there's a principle, um, well, people, it's disputed, you know, people talk about soul ties, but there's, there's stories in the Bible where the concept of soul ties come from. The first one being Jonathan and David, um, and it says their souls were knit together when they agreed that they were going to be brothers, and then there's Samson and Delilah, and, you know, it goes down through the Bible where people's souls were knit together in these relationships. I believe in that because one, I've seen those stories in the Bible. And then two, the body actually does that. It'd be different if it wasn't like when you have sex or when you, even when you embrace, if you embrace somebody for six seconds, oxytocin will release into your body and you will form some kind of bond with them. Just from holding them. But it doesn't have to be from sexual intercourse though. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Even to say, if you just embrace somebody for six seconds, even as a friend, if you hold hands with somebody for six seconds, your body will release some oxytocin because it's signaling to your body that there's something intimate that's mm-hmm. going on between you and that person when yeah. you need a connection with them just from holding them for six seconds. That's all it takes. The biggest dump of oxytocin for men and women, for women happens after you have a child. For men, it happens after they ejaculate, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Men have an oxytocin dump after they have sex. So... <laughs> that's a thing so to me if the body does it why would I think the soul wouldn't do something similar to that to to connect you with that person Mm -hmm. so sex to me creates an environment that is it's like if you're not in a committed relationship the sex kind of puts you into the driving without a seatbelt realm like I'm I'm doing all these things like if you're in a car without your seatbelt you're hurtling through the air at 75 miles an hour without anything to protect you from the impact and the things that could happen to you if something goes wrong in that situation. It's like sex in a committed relationship. And when I say committed relationship, I mean marriage. (laughs) Sex in marriage, things can still go wrong in marriage too, right? But sex in marriage is you're hurtling through the air at 75 miles per hour, but you have the appropriate protection so that if anything goes wrong, it's less likely that you'd be irreparably damaged from it um, because you have somebody that's willing most of the time to work it out, walk it through. Y'all have had a season, because I even tell people this too. I, My husband, my testimony is my husband wasn't always a good man. Like when I tell people like, oh my God, he's so romantic. He's, you know, he, he's so patient. He, he waited for me, you know, he's, you know, like he's so attentive. You can't ask all his girlfriends before me. And they say the same thing. Oh, Ryan was always like that. No, they'll be like, I don't know him. I don't know him like that. He dogged me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, he, look, he, he forgot my name. Like Ryan has told me so many stories. I'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe you did these girls like that. He's like, I didn't mean to. Like he had a girl, he he forgot he was even dating. Like he just forgot, like he was seeing her doing everything and then just got distracted and then saw her 
six months later she had on a cute dress and he was like hey and she was like you haven't called me in like six months and he was like oh yeah but you look cute you know and she was like get away from me you know <laughs> I was like how did you how did you forget that you were dating somebody he was like I don't know I forgot I'm like oh god like I'm just glad I wasn't in that kind of relationship with him me and my husband we were we we dated for five months before he proposed and we were engaged for 13 months after that so we had 18 months that we didn't have sex in our relationship during that 18 months and that was the first time that was the first time for either one of us I never gone 18 months in a relationship without having sex the only relationship I've been in that was you know longer than a couple of months I was having sex with that person all right it was the first time for either of us but that didn't mean that we couldn't do it. We actually built our discipline together. We actually built the ability to have self-control, discipline, you know, sexually. We were able to cultivate our values surrounding the word of God together. It, it helped us grow together. And even now that I'm married, we both have a solid foundation of self-control. It doesn't so, mean that one of us ever been tempted. So can I, I want to interject. Yeah. Um, from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, um, hearing on social, uh, hearing, you know, in the counseling rooms and other people and conversations and seeing on social media, um, particularly I've seen it often about the dating pool in Atlanta sucks. Oh. Um, um, there are no you need to go to another state or, and this is from men and women saying this. Um, and um, things like, well, that's not possible. You, you know, on the apps, they're like, well, we, you know, they're making it very known that they want to have sex or, well, you have to have sex. No one's going to wait, wait. Men don't want to wait. Um, men don't want to wait or men, you know, they just want to have sex particularly it's kind of sad to say it's kind of sad because it's like saying men are just like overly sexual and they can't control themselves but um that men won't wait or you can't find a man or no one does that no more or um you need to test um you need to test to see if you're sexually compatible um I I just kind of want to be the devil's advocate to what you're saying um, and what you're saying, you're very rare. That's rare, Kofria. That doesn't happen. Um, you were lucky. I mean, you've been married for 13 years, so you don't know nothing. So things have changed. So if someone's saying that, thinking that, listening to that, you know, hearing this, like, what do you have to say to that? Because some people could be like, what you're saying is a fairy tale. So. Girl, let me tell you. Okay. So first, <laughs> they've been saying that. <laughs> they've been saying that they've been saying that 13 20 years ago they've been saying that about you know guys in atlanta all that kind of stuff so oh, really was, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> thank you Girl, yes they've been saying that they've been saying that since i was in high school i remember jeremy jeremy's my sister mutual friend uh, a dude called jeremy that she met at the club and he was like friend you know in the vip section or whatever he had money and you know she wasn't really feeling him and she and he was like you know, you know, girl, you need to get with the program. You know, the ratio in Atlanta is like 11 to one talking about, you know, men to women. Mm -hmm. 
And she was like, well, baby, you got 10 more phone calls to make. And she just hung up on me <laughs> because they've been saying that like men were actually having some kind of weird bravado about like, oh, I know I can, I can be, I can be who I am and I don't have to, you know, go to this level because mm -hmm. the women in Atlanta are desperate because of this fairy tale. Um, I, you know, to me, it's a fairy tale that there's no men, you know, in Atlanta and the ratio of women to men in, in, in Atlanta is like so high versus women. No. So anyway, that's to me, that's lack mindset. So anybody that's like super spiritual, even if it's no other, nobody in Atlanta, just know God will bring somebody to Atlanta for you. If this is where you call to be and you call to be in a relationship, just know that there's no real scarcity for somebody that believes in God. Um, but I also just believe that a lot of it is hype. Um, but I will say this, I do have a personal testimony about men don't wait. So when I decided personally, before I met my husband, that I was going to wait to have sex until I got married, because it was a decision that I made beforehand, before I ever met my husband, it wasn't like we messed around and like, you want to wait? Oh, let's try it. You know, like, no, I decided it before I met him that I was going to wait. I actually dated three I dated three guys before I met my husband um, and I did not have sex with any of them, you know, and we were dating. We did date. Like we went on dates. We, we saw each other. I met family members, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't, I did not have sex with them because I had decided I'm not doing that. I tell you what I did not do. I did not do this spiel thing when I met them that said, Hey, first date, I'm just gonna let you know out the gate. I'm a Christian. I ain't having sex with you. Just get out your hair right now. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I decided I would let them learn about me like turning the pages of a book. Oh, I love that. Oh, say that again. I would let them learn about me like turning the pages, of the, pages the of the book. I did not spill when I dated. It was just something in me. And I think now it was Holy Spirit, but there was something in me that resisted having to do this interview you know on dates and tell a man everything about me what I liked what what my you know goals are and all this kind of stuff and nothing against you know think like a man and all that kind of stuff about that interview stuff when you date you know I think it is important to get to know people but I felt like I, my opinion on it is that we don't really know <laughs> A lot of us, like unless they've done a lot of internal work, you don't even really know what you want or need or how you are and what you like until you get into that relationship. Like we talked about at the very beginning, every relationship is different. And I like to think of every relationship like a newborn baby. It's gonna have features, it's gonna have a tone, it's gonna have a personality and it's gonna grow. It's gonna have a like a baby stage, a, an adolescent stage, a mature stage. That relationship is being birthed when you meet the person. So you can't talk to them about how you're going to act and what you're going to need and all that kind of stuff, because the relationship itself will actually generate the, what that is going to look like. So I feel like the best thing you can do is just relate to each other, not tell them all the things that you want and need and what you're going to do and all that kind of stuff. So I was against it. I didn't tell people like, I'm waiting. Are you into it? Are you celibate like mm -hmm. me too? I didn't date anybody that that was celibate that they knew of besides my husband, you know, like I just met a guy and I was just talking to him and I just, we had a great time. And when it came time to, you know, if I was at their house or whatever, and we're, 
hanging out late and I decide to go home or even if we got to where we were kissing and I decide okay I'm gonna stop here I'm gonna go home they learned that I didn't have sex (laughs) because I just didn't they learned nobody broke up with me as a matter of fact every single one of them told me that they loved me before the end of the relationship and I know that they I don't think they actually loved me I think that they and, and one of them actually told me this they never spent this much time with somebody that they didn't have sex with and still wanted to see them. So they thought it must be love. Like, wow, I really like her. And even though we're not having sex, I still want to go to the movies. Must be love. And I was like, dang, the bar is low. The bar is really low. And these were men from different walks of life. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, professional college graduates not college graduate like all different walks of life I the same result all three of them thought they were in love and I didn't have sex with them and they weren't celibate when I met them now all of them were Christians but none of them were celibate and they all waited what the one guy dated for nine months (laughs) nine months and we slept in the bed together too didn't have sex and he still he called me even after we broke up I ended up having to break up with him for a myriad of reasons I realized he wasn't the right person he was still calling me like I remember having to tell him I was engaged he was like hey how you doing I hadn't talked to you in a while what's been going on I was like well actually I'm engaged he was like oh like it wasn't even that I never want to talk to her again never had sex he, he had to wait for nine months celibate with me so I, I just reject the notion that men won't wait because they do. I mean, I have I have personal data. They weren't special. They were not special. They just waited because that was a boundary that I had. I didn't tell them, you know, I didn't, they, they one date at a time decided whether or not they wanted to see me again. And also because I wasn't having sex with them, I was fine if they left. Honestly, it, it made it, even though I liked them, when you're not, sexually active with somebody it makes you a lot more willing to accept the outcome whatever the outcome might be Mm -hmm. that's one reason why I encourage women to wait because we you said what about men (laughs) men too I look men are the same way oh my god men oh girl don't don't look don't get us started about the men here let me tell you about my theory about men I actually believe that men are more emotional um, regarding sex that than women are, but I believe that they get hurt earlier than women do. I believe that men usually have their hurt first heartbreak much earlier in life than women. So by the time they get to where, as women, we feel like we're mature and ready to get into a relationship, mm-hmm. men have been so hurt that they put on this facade now that is keeping them from being able to be truly vulnerable and truly connecting the relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's a mismatch. Um, and men are not protected either from this false, just as like that whole thing is false about there's nobody here, nobody will wait. There's this falsehood for men about having to demonstrate their manhood through sexual prowess at an early yeah, age. Yeah, absolutely. Their friends are already making fun of them for being virgins at like 13. Women, they're, you, they're looking at you like you like you crazy, like you're at least your, your friends. I mean, girls are having sex, you know, early, but their friends are not making fun of them if they're not Mm -hmm. it's perfectly fine for a woman to be a virgin 
through their teenage years, even into their 20s, women are not ridiculed for being virgins. Men are ridiculed by other men, young men, old men, for being mm-hmm. virgins in their teens. Yeah. And they're not ready. You know, I've had conversations with men and they had sex early and they're like, oh, I wish I, ha- I could have, I didn't have to, but the pressure and, and things like that. And, you know, and then, like you said, they become really resentful and hurt by that yes. for men at a younger age. And they're just going, some men are actually going out here causing havoc because they were having sex or forced, and they, but they don't even, some of them might not even realize that might have been their response because they still feel like, well, I had sex at a young age, but not really realizing as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, they were still young humans and there's still parts of them that was not fully developed. Okay. Um, and you are engaging in something that's very connecting and very personal at a young age that perhaps your emotions and your mind can actually comprehend um it's it's traumatic mm -hmm. it's traumatic i mean think about it with women our biggest oxytocin dump comes after we have a child so that we don't separate from that child with men it's after you ejaculate so imagine a young boy having his most connecting experience with a young girl and then you know that middle school relationship is going to break up like how traumatic, like think about somebody taking away your child, mm-hmm. like how traumatic that is. And then a man having to go through a similar emotion just based off of the physical connection at 13, 14 years old, and then having to just get over that. Like there's a thing called, you know, like they talk about it a lot, you know, in, in terms of like, like insulin, like diabetes is caused by, you know, when your body becomes desensitized to insulin. Mm -hmm. So every time you eat something, you know, that makes your insulin go up, if you overdo it, your body doesn't even respond to the insulin. So it has to release more and more and more for you to even, for you to, your sugar to be controlled. And so that's why sugar gets out of control. Cause it's like your body is still releasing insulin, Mm -hmm. but your, 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 you know, your blood is like, "Ah, that little insulin ain't going to do nothing, you know, for me. So you have to have more pumped in to control the sugar. I believe that the body responds like that to more than just that one hormone of insulin. So oxytocin to me is the same way. Like you start releasing these large amounts of it at an early age, you get traumatized. Over time, you can release all the oxytocin you want and you're desensitized to it because you've been releasing it and releasing it and disconnecting and disconnecting over and over and over. So now your body is, is numb to it. So that you got men out there that's trying to connect and they don't even know why they can't connect to the women that they're dating they don't even know why they they let them get away I have a lot of guy friends or have had some guy friends over the years that they've met a girl that they really liked and they don't know why they acted like that they don't know why they couldn't just buckle down and make it work and then they're sad when the girl moves on and you know is with another man is able to connect oh man that's the one that got away I don't I don't know why I acted like that is they, to me, my opinion is that they've desensitized themselves to the natural bond that comes from connecting with someone sexually. And they, even when they're ready to, it's like a disease. It's just like diabetes. They're not trying to not control their sugar. They're not trying to, they're not trying to stay disconnected and distant from them. But over all this time of practicing disconnection, that when you really want to connect, you may not be able to. 
or it may take, I won't say you're not able to, because I do believe that there's restoration for everything. Yeah. But it's difficult. It's yeah. it much more difficult to connect than if you had not been through the trauma of not realizing how sacred and powerful sex yeah. is. Well, I think that, um, yeah, I was going to say that it, I did want to point out that it is, that there is healing and healing is mm -hmm. possible and you can work that through those things yes. because, um, I don't want anyone to think, oh my God, I'm ruined because I definitely yeah. have gone through my own healing. I know you've gone through your own healing yourself. Um, and so like those connections, like I've seen guys I've slept with, um, we were in person on Instagram and I'm like, I'm wishing you the best, like truly from the bottom of yes. my heart, wishing you the best and not like, Ooh, like I can even look at you, be like, Oh, you're really handsome. But that's not, whereas before I'd look at them and be like, Oh damn, but yeah. it's not, you know, mm -hmm. that's, it's not there. And I don't think that's just a matter of time. I just think that's truly also a matter of doing some healing um, because, and I say why it's not a matter of time, because I also know people that I've been attracted to for a very, very long time and I haven't had sex with them, but there's still a sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. So there's still an attraction. Yep. And so that's why I say, I don't just think it's, it's, uh, um, a matter of, um, of, of time heals everything. It, it's, that's a myth it's too. yeah, that's I think, what did, um, I think Dwayne said it, it's not about time. It's like what you do with the time. I think Dwayne said like what you do with that time is what creates the healing. It's not just time heals everything. It's what you do with the time. And so I, yeah. I tell people you yeah. gotta drive. It's like, if you in Atlanta and you want to get to Miami, you can't stand still. Mm -hmm. It don't matter if you, you can stand still for 10 hours, you're going to still be in Atlanta. But if you drive, you're going in 10 hours, you'll be in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So I, I, I do think like all those things are true and it's, and it's not evil or, and there's healing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can, can reconnect like the brain, you know, remember before they didn't think the brain was elastic, but the brain is yes. elastic. Yes. Like it, it bounces back. So when you're intentional to heal those things, you can reconnect because you're ultimately wired to connect. Um, exactly. as a human it's just possible it's just got to work through those things and exactly. so exactly you got to take yeah. care of it you have to mm -hmm. the body has to rest even you know like in order to be restored it needs some time like you can have a wound and you have to cover it for a while you know like don't just you know go washing the dishes like you know you got to cover it for a while keep it safe while it heals you know you got to rest you gotta you you gotta eat you gotta put those things in and you know like give your your body and your soul that space that it needs to heal like I, I'm a big believer in that too like you gotta do something like especially with dating and relationships like we just think we can keep dating because that's that's the I don't know that's the thing too like to me the time heals all wounds and just keep moving forward like moving forward and doing something is different like sometimes you can be dating and it's that's what's keeping you standing still like moving on to the next man too fast like oh that's how I'm gonna do it that's how I'm gonna get over this last wound is I'm just gonna keep dating it's like no you need to put a cast on that thing you need to let that <laughs> bone sit you just got broken like yeah you got broken you need to set that brokenness put it in a cast relax it put it up for a while and let it heal so that you can get back out there and reconnect again oh Capri, you're so good at metaphors <laughs> 
I, I really do wish that I could be better. Like I struggle with metaphors um, and giving examples. Sometimes they come to me on the fly, but you're so good at them. <laughs> I just want to see like, you know. Thank you so much. That's how I learn. I learn through analogy. So I mm-hmm. tend to talk like that because that's mm-hmm. how it makes sense to me. Yeah, cool. So um, I hope everyone loved this. We had a really good discussion. I know, um, we got to do it more often, man. I know. Um, anything you want people to take away from this conversation? This girl chat. You guys listening on our girl chat? <laughs> oh my God, it's so much stuff that we just reminded me of. So just to go back to the beginning, you know, I really want to let people know, like, be the change you want to see in regards to how you relate to the little humans, you know? Mm. Because I, I feel like a lot of what we're dealing with day-to-day in relationships from what we talked about with with sex with you know identity with just you know believing you know lies and all this kind of stuff it really does start like from what you experience at home and even when you love your kids the best you can if you still have that myth that like they're kids and you know this is like they're going to change into adults versus no, this human is learning how to relate to other humans through how they relate to you as their parent or, or you as their aunt or, you know, like whatever relationship you have with a younger human. Um, just, just think about it. And I think a lot of times we do have to think about it in terms of what we um, have experienced in romantic relationships or what, what made us feel disrespected or what made us feel small or like we didn't, you know, we didn't, you know, have the right you know, honor, you know, like in that relationship and that we will sometimes do those things with our little humans. You know, like I have something I stopped saying recently. I think we talked about this too, of like, uh, see what you made me do since you didn't listen Mm. to me the first time. That's why now I'm yelling at you. I'm yelling at you because, you know, you didn't listen to me the first three times I told you. So now you made me yell. And it's like, that's teaching my little human Mm -hmm. that she's responsible for my behavior Mm -hmm. and my emotional outbursts because of her behavior Mm -hmm. and I'm like I don't want my child to take that into her adolescent and teenage relationships where she's feeling responsible when somebody else is having their own emotional problem where they've lost control and she's then thinking about what can I do because this is my responsibility to make sure that they're not out of control. No, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to be honest. I'll just tell her I'm angry <laughs> about the fact that you weren't listening to me. And, and, you know, and, and that's how I'm feeling. You know, I don't, I don't like that. You didn't know that you were disobedient and I'm angry, but I'm not going to tell her, see what you made me do. Now you got me yelling. I'm not doing that. So I want to encourage people on that little human tip you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. from the beginning. And then I also want to encourage people to just not believe the lies. Anything that tells you that you're lacking anything is probably a lie. Like, no matter what you've been through, whether it's, you know, you you know, we talked about a bunch of stuff, being sexually active, being, being traumatized, you know, being in a lot of relationships that didn't work out. Um, you know, I even briefly touched on, you know, I've been through an assault, you know, in my life. All those things, you can heal, you know, and anything that's telling you because you've been through this, these things that you either don't deserve a good relationship or 
you know, your relationship is not going to work out because whatever, because you just had sex with somebody or, you know, because, you know, whatever you did in your past is somehow going to transactionally impact what's going to happen in your future. I just want to take a stand against that right now to reject that, to call it all a lie and just encourage everybody to believe that whatever is in the word for them, because the word does not say anything about when you don't have sex, you're going to get a good relationship, or if you do, you're going to get a bad one. It just says it's a sin against the body. <laughs> uh, so let's not add anything to it. The word just says that God's grace is sufficient and that God has good and perfect gifts in store for you. And just expect that God can provide. It don't matter where you at. You can be in Antarctica. And, and if God desires you to be in a relationship, somebody going to be there down there in Antarctica to love you the way that, that Jesus loves you. <laughs> to be in a relationship with them so yeah I just reject the lies and that, that's the main thing I want to encourage everybody mm. on God loves you and he put desires in your heart because he wants you to have what's good and makes you happy yeah he loves it he loves yes. for you to smile and have a good relationship and be like man this is awesome like that's what he wants yeah I love that thanks and I would just say um really learn the difference and, and think about the difference like between loving yourself and liking yourself. Yes. There, there's a difference. And, and again, I'm going to go back to when you're loving yourself, it's the actions, it's the way you treat yourself, the way you care for yourself. A lot about us liking ourselves is about us accepting all of us imperfections and all, mm -hmm. and also about how we talk to ourselves. Yes. Right. Um, yes. yes, that is so good. Oh my what, God, that is so good. That ministers to me. You know, that's what I work on. A lot of work I do on myself is all about that liking myself, not tolerating, mm -hmm. you know. Like, um, <laughs> like I really like that. So I have this, um, my friend um, and her husband, um, they, she texts me. She's like, yeah, I was just thinking about you. And I'm like, what would... Was it something, what would Bianca do? She has the initials. <laughs> and um, and I'm like, why? What are you talking about? She's like, where are you now? What did you do now? And I was like, oh, I just came back from Panama. She's like, I like living. I like me and I like to live. Mm -hmm. And um, anyone who knows me is I'm about, how can I work less so that I can live? Because I know I need to live. Like that's... Yeah part of loving and liking who I am and, and knowing how I flourish. And she always says that to me. Um, and I'm always like, people like you stop trying to make me work. I actually want to work less. I, I keep saying, I want to find a work. I can make the same money and just work less. Um, because I know that's how I flourished. I know that's how, you know, what's good for me. Yeah. Um, and that's what I want to do. So Thank you, everyone, yes, for so listening. Cool. Thank you for Kafria for allowing everyone to um, stop in on our chat. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. I love talking with you and catching up, girl. You know our girl chats. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following the Instagram Bianca Keisha, spelled Keisha, 
A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I-K-E-S-H-A or visiting the website AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination. Thank you.